This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. There's this little German town in Bavaria called Bad Kissingen that people have been visiting for centuries. It's a very cute, small, historic town which has been a spa for a a long time. It's a really idyllic-looking place full of classical architecture and rose gardens. But a few years ago, Bad Kissingen rebranded itself as a place that you would come for something else. Time. They have been over the past years trying to incorporate temporal relaxation, relaxation from the time dictation of society, to go in the direction of, we are good for your body clock. The idea was to reinvent it as the world's first chrono city, a place where you could live in tune with your biological clock. Schools would start later, businesses would offer flexible working, and buildings would be modified to let in more sunlight. So the town reached out to people like Professor Till Ronenberg. They got in touch with me and I made a wonderful suggestion, which they never did because they're too pussyfooted. If you're thinking what I'm thinking, what he just said there was they were too pussyfooted. But it's easy to see why they might have been too pussyfooted because Till's suggestion was, well, quite radical. I advised them to go the full way and um, get rid of daylight savings time. Till wanted Bad Kissingen to totally scrap the yearly ritual of changing the clocks forward by an hour in the spring. Why? Well, because even though it gives us the benefit of lighter evenings, there's a growing body of research which shows daylight savings time could actually be bad for our health. This Sunday, coincidentally on Halloween, the clocks go back once again as daylight saving comes to an end. But is it time to get rid of it permanently? From The Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia, and this is Science Weekly.
Linda Geddes, you're a Guardian science correspondent and you've written about daylight savings time. When did the idea of changing the clocks first come about? Well, the original idea was attributed to Benjamin Franklin, but it was actually at the beginning of the 20th century that the real push to do this started to happen. So there was this Englishman called William Willett who published a pamphlet, which he called The Waste of Daylight, which argued that changing the clocks in the summer months would allow people to do more outdoor activities in the evenings. It might keep them out of the pubs. It might reduce industrial energy consumption. And also, you know, this is around the time of the First World War, so it might facilitate military training in the evenings. The UK adopted daylight saving time in 1916, and then the US followed suit in 1918. Daylight saving was originally a way of conserving coal during the war, But today, it's unclear whether it still helps us to save energy. In fact, there are some studies showing it might increase energy use. And I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the UK, the change to summertime definitely doesn't keep people out of pubs. And more recently, scientists have been discovering that there are some quite significant downsides to daylight saving time, especially after the spring clock change, when we have to get up an hour earlier. So there's been quite a lot of research from the United States looking at the effect on high school students. So one study found that high school students got 32 minutes less sleep per night during the week following the spring clock change. And maths and science test scores fell as well. And then in adults, this transition to summertime has also been associated with an increase in deaths and injuries, including road traffic accidents. Also, these clock changes have been tied to an increased risk of heart attacks, strokes, suicide attempts and psychiatric admissions. Just short term, you know, just in the in the few days after the clock change. And actually, the, the study I like best is um, one that found that US judges dole out heftier sentences It's just an hour, right? Like it doesn't feel like very much and yet it can have these potentially quite serious knock-on effects. How can just having an hour's less sleep have such an impact? Because we undervalue the importance of sleep and we're cutting out sleep at the end of our sleep period, which is dominated by REM sleep. And that kind of sleep is particularly important for our emotional health, which possibly explains why we're so cranky when we have to wake up an hour earlier. But you know, we just as a society, we think that sleep isn't important. It's not just about the amount of sleep, though. It's also about when we sleep. Because changing the clocks twice a year messes with something really important, our internal body clock. So the body clock is a very old and very important biological program that embeds every function in your body into a meaningful 24-hour cycle. This is Till Ronenberg, who we heard from earlier. He's a professor at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Germany. And for the past 50 years, he's been studying sleep and the body clock. It doesn't look at alarm clocks. It just looks at the alternation between light and darkness. It is unchangeable. You can change the clocks, but you cannot change at that day the light-dark cycle. And therefore, they're living more against their body clocks. And living against your body clock can have all sorts of ramifications on your sleep, mood, digestion, brain chemistry, even heart function. 
which, when you think about it, you probably can relate to. We all know what it feels like to be woken up an hour earlier or to be a bit jet lagged. It doesn't tend to bode well for your day. And essentially, changing the clocks is forcing the entire country to experience that at the same time, which probably explains why the switch to daylight saving can be so disruptive. So the question is, why do we still do it? <laughs> it's actually surprisingly complicated.、Um, so the European Parliament actually voted to abolish daylight saving time in 2019, but they haven't. Quite agreed on how to implement it yet.、Um, there are various countries that have actually abolished daylight savings time, including quite a lot of countries in Africa that are former colonies, European colonies. But you know, there are other countries that have have tried to do this, and and it's backfired. So Russia switched to permanent summertime in 2011, and then they U-turned three years later. Um, because of the increased stress and ill health that was associated with Russians having to travel to work or school in darkness during winter, and they also recorded an increase in morning traffic accidents. So some parts of Russia now live on permanent winter time,、um, but then this means really early sunrises in the summer. So I understand that sales of things like blackout blinds have have massively increased since they made that switch, which just really goes to illustrate that it's not. Easy, actually. There's no perfect solution. In the end, the German town of Bad Kissingen decided to keep daylight saving time, mainly for bureaucratic reasons. They thought it was a good idea, but in the end, they didn't do it because they were afraid they would be sued. Were you disappointed? No, I would have jumped up in joy because it would have meant that somebody is dares to do something. But I was not disappointed. I feared that things like that, once they get into the hands of bureaucrats, would go exactly that direction. I guess they didn't have your vision. Aren't there any good things though about daylight savings time? Of course, there are lots of good things about daylight savings time, and they they are、uh, wrapped in rather imprecise language, like the days are longer, which they are not. It's just that I come home earlier, and therefore the evenings、um, are, are longer. What it actually tells you is how much our bodies long for real light. Everybody knows how beautiful it is when we do our first weekend walk in spring, and the sun is warm, and we get bright light with a blue sky. These are emotions coming from very deep down biological urges of our body wanting to get light and not being in constant dimness. Till's point is that there is a bigger issue here beyond daylight saving time. Our biology is fundamentally tied to sunlight, so rather than just changing the hands of the clock twice a year. Do we need to change our lifestyles to be more in tune with the sun, and listen to what our internal body clocks are saying? I think that's true. I think we need to maybe not try and be the same year round and accept that we feel a bit different in the summer. Maybe we feel more energetic and, and more cheerful. Some of us, anyway. More generally, one thing I've been arguing for a long time is that. Employers, schools, everyone needs to be a bit more flexible about people's internal time and accept that there are night owls and early birds. These things are, are genetically controlled. You can't just make somebody who struggles to get up in the morning. You can't suddenly make them get up earlier and expect them to be 
cheerful and, and on the ball. For better or worse, the clocks are going to go backwards. Sorry, I always forget the clocks are going to go backwards. Have you got any tips for how we might be able to, you know, avoid some of these pitfalls and prevent some of the things that could go wrong because of that? The autumn clock change isn't so bad because most of us find it kind of easier to sleep in in the mornings. Um, But especially with the spring clock change, my advice would be to start the transition earlier than you have to. So start, you know, like in the week before, maybe set your alarm clock 15 minutes later and then half an hour later and and just kind of ease into it. But also my other bit of advice is, you know, use the morning light. Morning light is really, really important for keeping us synchronised to the time of day. When we switch to winter time, it's going to be brighter and lighter in the morning than it has been up until now. And you could use that light. You know, you could go for a walk around the block and we can get started from next week. Brilliant. Well, that's really useful, Linda. Thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thanks also to Professor Till Ronenberg. And I hope that you enjoy your extra glorious hour in bed this Sunday. Before I go, we've got some very exciting news. Over the next fortnight, Science Weekly will be going daily we'll be heading to Glasgow to take you inside COP26, where the future of our planet will be decided. Listen to new episodes every weekday with The Guardian's award-winning environment team and my brilliant co-host, Madeline Finlay. Episode 1 will be in your feeds on Monday morning. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 